Hi everyone and welcome to the Oplane podcast where we talk about commercial aviation always from fresh angles. First of all, my usual reminder that you can find all the previous episodes of this podcast as well as many other aviation stories on our website oplane.tv. That's a double l p l a n e .tv. Today's episode is a bit different from the preceding ones. We are zooming into a part of Europe that is fascinating from many different points of view, but particularly when it comes to aviation. I'm talking about the Balkan region. Peter Boyinovich is the founder and CEO of Tango 6, the leading aviation media firm in Serbia, where he is based. He is also the organizer of the Southeast Europe Aviation Summit, shortened by SEAS, a major conference that takes place in Belgrade about aviation in the Southeast Europe region, obviously. With Petar, we have talked about the past, present and future of the airline industry in this region. Did you know, for example, that Serbia has one of the oldest airlines in the world? Or that Yat, the flag carrier of the former Yugoslavia, was among the first airlines in the world to introduce some advanced Western airliners during the Cold War. How did the airline industry in that area recover after years of war in the 1990s? And how and why did Etihad take control of Air Serbia? What are the prospects of the airline industry in the Balkan region? Well, we talk about all of these and much more in today's episode of the podcast. So tune in. Hi, Petar. How are you? Excellent, Mikhail. Uh, thank you so much for, for having me. It's great to see you. Last time we met in person in Belgrade, that was, I think, a couple of years ago in a completely different pre-pandemic world. It was that conference that you organized, the Southeast Europe Aviation Summit, also called the SEAS. It's the largest aviation conference in the Balkans. You are the founder and CEO of Tango 6, news portal and events company that is the leading source of information about aviation in Serbia and I would say in, in the whole of the Balkan region, right? Yeah, thank you for uh, the kind introduction. Um, the former Yugoslavia is also some, sometimes referred to as Adria region as well because, you know, politically everybody is fed up with the Yugoslavia term. Um, uh, we uh, cover mainly, uh, we are from uh, Serbia, Belgrade, but the entire Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia, had a, a similar uh, language ac across all the nations. We uh, sprang out of, you know, former large, one, national carrier uh, militaries, which had a lot of activities, both, both in the defense and civil aviation side. So we cover uh, all that. You and I met last time in uh, 2016 when we had the first Southeast European Aviation Summit, which was inspired by then Air Serbia, the Serbian National Airline, uh, really in its stride. Uh, we had uh, James Hogan back then appearing at the conference, and the idea was always as uh, specialized media to have events, which we, which we continued doing. Mm -hmm. A lot has happened since then. And we're going to review now all the different, different developments that ha have happened in your region because the point of this podcast, I think, is to give an overview of the whole, the whole Balkan region uh, in a broad sense to many people that are possibly not that familiar with it. But uh, quite a lot of interesting developments have happened in the last few years. You've got a number of different countries, each with their own airlines. There's been also all the uh, developments like the arrival, the, the growth of low-cost airlines, the investment from companies, for example, like from the Middle East, as you mentioned. It's a region that, as you mentioned, there was a, a large country in the past, it was Yugoslavia. And it's interesting because uh, Yugoslavia had a, a large flag carrier called JAT. In a way, it's the antecessor of Air Serbia and still use the same the same code this is ju which so actually yugoslavia still lives on in the in the aviation world in a way <laughs> 
so I think it would be also interesting to talk a little bit about this past because uh, Jad was a very, and Yugoslavia in general, was, a very, was in a very interesting position because it was not part of the West, it was not part of the Eastern Bloc. It was something in between. They flew, for example, they flew uh, Western aircraft by being theoretically a, a socialist country at the time, right? Exactly. So the uh, civil aviation airline uh, history part of former Yugoslavia is extremely interesting. Yugoslavia traces back its roots to the kingdom of Serbia, Croatia and uh, Slovenia, uh, which uh, basically uh, had eighth or tenth oldest airline in the world. Depends how you look at it. Uh, there's even a, a well-read uh, guy called Mikhail Ross who wrote a piece about it on uh, CNN. Um, uh, and, and I think I think Serbian TV picked up my article on CNN about the world's oldest airlines because I was mentioning exactly. Air Serbia. <laughs> exactly. In, uh, exactly. So right, I think. Uh, exactly. So the the 1927, 26, there was a uh, guy who was called Tadija Sondermeyer, who was an uh, aeronautical engineer, uh, basically, you know, sort of a Howard Hughes type of the day, who founded the original national airline called Aeroput, which uh, was built on the then uh, craze of the new flying contraptions that uh, Serbia first employed in its armed forces, influenced heavily by France, like everybody in the continental Europe. He conceived that national airline as a, a publicly traded company, to say, say it like that, with stocks. And he uh, needed to raise capital back then in that kingdom, which was very Western-oriented, uh, started its industrialization back then, like similar countries. And uh, uh, basically, he formed the airline with uh, several, we can call it stunts, one of which was a uh, legendary flight to popularize the uh, new venture from uh, uh, Paris to Bombay, had its pit stop in, in Belgrade. And basically, it started that story, which then evolved into the events that then went on. Uh, we had the World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, which ended the kingdom of then Yugoslavia that was then renamed. And Second World War saw the demise of the monarchy. Communists uh, came on board, well-known uh, leader, uh, Josip Broz Tito, who initially was basically on the wings of a great success of defeating the Germans in majority of on his own. He was not tied to the Soviet Union, uh, several other Eastern European countries were, and he was a hardline communist, but at some point was pretty restless in subduing to Stalin. And then in uh, the end of 40s, he broke off relations with Stalin, who wanted to appease him, who wanted to dominate basically the new country of Yugoslavia, comprised out of several nations, basically, several entities that were actually nations. And then we started that interesting thing of uh, having also Western equipment, uh, the new national airline, which was actually new, Aeroput, as everything from uh, former uh, Kingdom of Yugoslavia was effectively shut down. But the new entity called Yugoslav uh, Airlines, or YAT, was then formed and it uh, began its mandate as the national airline of the new bigger country. And that was extremely interesting in part because it saw almost all of the early jet era Boeing types. Yeah, you, uh, they had the Boeing 707, I think, no? 727s as well. Exactly. Caravelle uh, as well from France. Exactly. The, the jet age specifically started with before jets. Uh, jets. So you had Converse, you had uh, DC-3s, C-47s, uh, uh, Converse. And then uh, the jet age came actually with the Caravelle, uh, the advancement uh, of uh, Boeings who basically brought up uh, the stability of uh, newer engines and a uh, much more streamlined passenger experience, as we all know, uh, yeah, started with the uh, 707s and then the 
uh, entire network logically grew as a international one, uh, but quite an international one. Yeah, All but... these nationalities uh, that comprised uh, former Yugoslavia, uh, Serbs, Croats, uh, Bosnians, there's Montenegro, there's uh, Slovenia. All of these uh, nations, Orthodox, Catholic, and uh, Muslim, had large expat populations all over the world, literally. And early on, Yat was conceived as, uh, sort of say, 50% a connector to the expat arena, but also creating a extensive network and basically becoming a really dominant network carrier of the Balkans. It had several firsts in the airliner arena. Uh, for instance, uh, there is a very interesting aviation museum at the uh, Belgrade airport. Yeah, uh, actually, I strongly. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to talk also in, uh, in this call about the museum because that's that's definitely not just because of the content, because also the the architecture of the place is very interesting and is literally between 20 meters of the main terminal of of uh, Belgrade airport. So. Definitely, and the yeah. entire we will we will touch uh, yeah. upon that later on. The new uh, reconstruction of the uh, Belgrade Airport will improve even more uh, uh, the museum. The thing about the early jet age is interesting. Uh, Yacht had uh, almost all the uh, well-known Boeing's seven oh seven seven two seven, and then the revolutionary uh, shorter haul DC nine. Uh, DC-930, uh, uh, of, of which uh, I think that we have a uh, DC-9 serial number 003 simulator, uh, the third uh, mm -hmm. ever built uh, globally that was delivered to Yacht and that uh, is unfortunately in the basement of the museum, not uh, restored, but that illustrates that Yugoslavia relied to the West uh, when it came to the jet fleet for its national airline. Yat was the uh, first uh, national airline or actually an airline that operated 737-300 in Europe. Okay. Back then it was uh, in uh, 87, I think. Back then it was a miracle on tarmacs around, uh, around Europe where, you know, like Lufthansa pilots asked, um, their yacht colleagues to climb into uh, the cockpit to check it out. And basically that split with the Soviet Union initially, which ended uh, a decade later, but the uh, but National Airline kept its uh, Western types. There was another airline, a charter airline called Aviogenics, which had its Tupolevs, which had its uh, 737 200 as well, one of the first airlines also in Europe that operated it, because Yugoslavia was a, was a much larger country than all the countries now, and it had its significantly developed industry, which lacked actual foreign currency in cash back then, and a lot of those deals were barter arrangements for finished products that were basically exchanged, so to speak, for for instance, uh, DC-10s, that was the culmination of um, Yugoslav uh, Airlines when it uh, basically decided to uh, have destiny tied to McDonnell Douglas. And uh, they operated at some point, I think, even five uh, DC-10s, majority owned, some of them uh, leased, and then they served the globe from, from Belgrade. Yeah, because actually the, the network, I saw uh, a poster of the, the root network of uh, YAT was quite extensive, as you mentioned, uh, many international connections and quite a few of them long haul. It was flying to America, to different, different continents. To Australia, from, uh, to the right, uh, from uh, the east coast of Australia to uh, the US, it really had a elaborate uh, network. It uh, was comprised operationally also out of all of the all of the states. The majority of operation uh, was largely based in Belgrade, but it was really a, a gem of an airline. 
Then the 90s uh, came, the uh, country uh, dissolved itself in a bloody civil war, unfortunately, and uh, that uh, sprang out several uh, national airlines of the newly created countries. Yeah, uh, if, I, if I can stop you one second here, because we're going to talk now about all these different successor airlines. Uh, just one question I had. Yet did operate all these Western aircraft types, but did it operate as well uh, aircraft from the Soviet bloc? Uh, or that was only the other airline, the, the charter airline that operated them? Well, well, yeah, because um, uh, basically uh, Yacht was dominantly uh, based on Western equipment, but early on it had illusions, it had uh, several types, but they were not, they, they were really short-lived because it uh, jumped into the jet age with uh, Boeings. They never looked back except for the DC-9 and the DC-10. The DC-10 was sort of in competition with then uh, early versions of the Boeing 747, but McDonnell Douglas won out on that. Soviet types were more present in the Aviogenics uh, airline, which was a, a charter airline, but also at the end of the 80s, even uh, within Yugoslavia, still being a, a whole country, Slovenia created Adria, Adria's uh, predecessor, which then uh, was one of the first countries also in Europe to acquire uh, the new kid on the block back then, Airbus aircraft. Mm -hmm. So basically in Yugoslavia, you had every single representative of an airline, uh, airliner manufacturer, which you can now see in the Belgrade uh, Airports Museum. Yeah, you, were, uh, you had a very pioneering spirit at the time <laughs> when it comes to aircraft acquisition. I think the only other socialist country in Europe at the time, I think, had Western aircraft, I think, was Romania. I might be wrong. I think they also acquired some Western aircraft. Although Romania was properly, was properly in, the, in the Eastern Bloc, like Yugoslavia, which I think was part of that thing called the non-aligned movement. Uh, exactly. So uh, Yugoslavia was never, even when it went back to the Soviet Union, when uh, Mr. Khrushchev came on and they basically called it a truce, but they were never formally in the Eastern Bloc. Yugoslavia was definitely uh, something that was up, up for grabs either for Soviet or, or for Westerners in the defense side for NATO. So uh, it was interesting and Tito, who remained the sole uh, president until he, until he died, it was a classical, you know, uh, communist single party rule, but not as uh, brutal as other countries were. It was very uh, liberal as a communist state could have been. It basically established some ways of living, which travel was very illustrative of, that you could basically have all of travel options, west or east. And the unaligned movement was Tito's uh, idea to basically for himself to create a third option uh, outside of the Soviet bloc, the uh, uh, NATO alignments, and that was based on Africa and some Asian countries. So even uh, that was being supported by, uh, by YAT, and unfortunately that uh, story ended like basically all the, all the communist countries in Europe ended. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, there was the years of, of, of war, some, some terrible conflict for a number of years in, in different parts of what used to be um, Yugoslavia. And, and then we, what we ended up with is actually all these, different, um, there, there are all these different national airlines, which some of them have been a bit of a difficult existence over the last few years, I think. You can tell us a bit more now, but... You have Air Serbia in, in Serbia, obviously. <laughs> um, there, there was Adria in Slovenia, which uh, recently uh, went bankrupt. And I think there is some talk now of restarting it somehow. But I think for the time being, Slovenia doesn't have a, a flag carrier. Then there's Croatia Airlines that has been in some chronic uh, state of financial distress also for quite some time. Then there's uh, Bosnia, where there's been a recent, an airline recently launched. Uh, Fly Bosnia was launched uh, just a couple of years ago. 
I don't know how they are doing. It's, it's a small market, it's a small airline. Um, we can talk a bit, a bit more about this later. Then there's a Montenegro, which is a big tourist destination, but small country, had a small airline that went bankrupt last year or early this year. I don't remember exactly the chronology, but very recently it went bankrupt. The government has relaunched a flag carrier with a slightly different name, more or less with the same, same mission. I think that there are no more airlines, right, that uh, succeeded uh, yet. Am I missing anyone else? Exactly. Uh, you're, you're right. So when the war started, but also a couple of years back, before the 90s, like I said, Adria was uh, created. Mm -hmm. And then Yacht basically uh, shrank. Everything remained in Belgrade. And the successor was the same company, actually. And the name was just first years actually it remained the same then 2000s it uh, was renamed uh, yacht airways because the acronym uh, of uh, jat uh, didn't stand for yugoslavia anymore so then it became a brand a name uh, on its own so it, it got uh, then privatized right and uh, then Etihad uh, so if if Exactly. So uh, uh, let's let's do it like chronologically. When mm -hmm. Adria was started slightly before uh, Yugoslavia's collapse, uh, Yat survived only to become a Serbian uh, national airline. But back then, uh, you had a country also called Yugoslavia, which was the successor of Yugoslavia, which was comprised out of Serbia and. Uh, Montenegro and initially in like uh, 15 or uh, some years it was uh, the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. Uh, late 2000s then Montenegro uh, declared its independence and Serbia remained uh, finally as a country but Montenegro Airlines uh, was formed uh, while the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia was in existence. So actually, that, uh, that country had two airlines, which Yacht Airways was de facto the national airline, but uh, Montenegro, was, uh, Montenegro Airlines uh, then started with uh, Fokkers, then acquired uh, later on Embraer Jets, and they started catering for their own country despite uh, being in a, uh, a same country. So in early 90s, uh, during the war, I think 92 or 93, Croatia Airlines was formed as the national airline of Croatia. And Adria Airways uh, became a full-fledged national carrier of uh, Slovenia. All of these airlines were a uh, relic of the need to have your national airline to uh, continue on the you know so, so sort of economical and political uh, standards of the former country where it was unheard of that you did not have uh, an airline to connect you at least to western europe uh, but back then in the 90s you did not have uh, low-cost airlines and every single country except bosnia thought that it could sustain an airline. All of these airlines early on and now as well are extremely seasonal businesses, which definitely kills their uh, operation year long. Uh, like majority of similar airline entities, they make money during the summer and they survive during the winter. They have significant uh, VFR traffic, they have significant uh, seasonal expat uh, dates that, uh, that see traffic. But other than that, uh, the summer season combined with charter travel and before all these crises, let's say something in the, in the, in the manner of uh, uh, business travel. So basically, they're all in, uh, in, 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 in a difficult situation to do business and they struggle. It seems it's, it's been a constant. I mean, pretty much all of these airlines have experienced chronic financial difficulties for a long period of time, and some of them even have gone out of business. In the case of Air Serbia, there was this very important development, I think, in, in um, was in 2015, around that, that time, something like that. Uh, where so, yeah, the old yeah, it was pri privatized, right? Or part of it was privatized, and you had this big investor with deep pockets that comes on board 
Etihad, which at the time had the strategy of acquiring stakes in airlines in different countries, and, and then Air Serbia was part of that project. How did it go? I mean, what, what happened with that project? Did it really change the dynamics in the region? That's the only successful project of all these that I mentioned. Uh, Slovenia's national airline uh, got bankrupt by a sort of a venture capital company that was used into buying up failed businesses, flipping them, selling them, which was totally unorthodox in the airline uh, business. So they failed and the airline uh, was uh, bankrupt. Croatia Airlines, on the other hand, as Croatia has uh, its tourism, its um, beautiful coast, uh, which in the early uh, years they tried to service, but uh, low costers took over the sort of the entire coast. It had, it was uh, forced to basically pump up uh, Zagreb numbers, and that led to some unfortunate strategic uh, decisions for Croatia Airlines, and it was always up for privatization in the last uh, 10 years, but it was it never found a partner. And Air Serbia basically uh, was a winner of all these circumstances uh, because it was uh, based on a uh, old uh, Boeing fleet, Boeing and ATR fleet. There was an order for Airbus 318s, uh, in fact, in 98, but that uh, didn't uh, materialize. And for a significant number of years, the airline uh, was in decline. In 2012, there was a change of power in Serbia, and the guys who came uh, to power were slightly more, uh, let's say, populistic, more active than their predecessors, and they hit it off with the UAE. UAE started helping out, and one of the items was, uh, okay, so what can you do for us? Oh, we have a defunct national airline which is on you know life support can you do something about that and enters james hogan into the story because he was asked by the shade then of the uae to sort of you know check out the situation and if he sees it was not a direct order but if something can be done maybe he can help danny Kiat. he was basically then started building up his well-known alliance, something of a equity partner type of a thing that we all know, which now totally failed. Yeah, it, it didn't uh, really work out. Huh? They have been selling some of the stakes they acquired. Exactly. Fail. Air, Air Berlin, Jet Airways failed. Um, there was this uh, regional airline, I think, in Switzerland. Also went out. Exactly. They even had a partnership with uh, Alitalia, but all yeah. of those things failed. Air Serbia is now the only remaining formal partner in what was then uh, branded as Etihad Partners. But uh, the entire thing was that um, the new Serbian um, party in power back then uh, had to do some quick, uh, had to uh, achieve some quick political wins. And Air Serbia was. Uh, a thing that was one of those uh, uh, examples. And Hogan then, uh, who incidentally, at some point in his career, worked for uh, Yacht back in the 80s uh, in Australia. Oh, I didn't know he, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a, uh, a representative for Yacht in that uh, domestic market of his back then. Um, but the thing is that he said, okay, so you have a defunct airline, I have a business model where I invest uh, by certain amount of stake in certain airlines, which in turn gives me uh, synergies that I can bypass some, you know, open sky rules or some, for instance, arrangements, for instance, in India that I can basically exactly hook on yeah. onto that uh, a large mm -hmm. traffic by acquiring a stake in some sort of an indian uh, uh, airline so that strategy uh, had nothing to do with yet but he thought like this okay so there is no functioning or significantly strong airline from austria to turkey from austrian airlines to turkish uh, airlines everything in between are those smaller, uh, about-to-go-bankrupt national airlines uh, legacy business models. So if I now have a 
significant interest from one of these countries, Serbia, how about that I apply my equity alliance formula to Serbia and create a sort of a former Yugoslavia Balkans network carrier on the uh, business models and marketing initiatives and integrations into the Etihad network. So that was his pro proposition to the uh, new Serbian government. And that government who was willing to invest, who needed a first political uh, victory in the terms of saving a huge problem, which was Yacht uh, Airways, agreed, accepted. And then he started basically laying out a enormous investment, which marketing-wise needed to be a break from an old brand. He rebranded it as Air Serbia. He found an executive who uh, is Serbian, but uh, also living in Australia. And it changed its fleet from uh, Boeing's to Airbus, 319, 320s. And from a standpoint of creating a, an overreaction to the comparable competitive national airlines of former Yugoslavia by creating a significant uh, network supported by Etihad, but completely paid by the Serbian government. So he had a clean slate, uh, whatever he you know, conceived, Serbian government paid for it. And ultimately the entire capital uh, amount that resulted uh, from its founda uh, foundation in 2013 up, up until now is somewhere around, uh, depending on uh, uh, sources and data, from 300 to 400 million euros, which all went out of the Serbian budget. But the, an interesting thing happened. Uh, the new national airline effectively introduced uh, through Etihad's uh, business model, a, a significant uh, thing called transfer passengers, which were the result of a, uh, a larger network carrier. And that in turn created uh, previously unexisted around 1.9 million passengers to the Belgrade uh, airport, which were not there because the uh, increased network uh, logically was uh, the result of that. And so those, then, those were new passengers, those were almost 2 million of transit passengers that exactly. were not there before. Uh -huh. Exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not uh, completely precise or aware of uh, the spread between transfer and uh, direct or point-to-point, -point, but that was the uh, end result. And the Serbian government, uh, somewhere in the middle of uh, the current history of Air Serbia, uh, even got a better financial situation as a, a state budget considerations go and they continued investing but honoring all the european commission uh, state aid uh, rules to the letter so basically they grew introducing a direct route to uh, jfk acquiring leasing a uh, airbus a single airbus a330 which then uh, basically provided a a dominant force in the region, specifically for transfer passengers. And an interesting thing happened then. These newly created, so to speak, 2 million passengers for the duration of uh, the new airline then increased the appeal of Belgrade uh, Airport uh, Nikola Tesla as well. And then uh, Serbian government said, okay, so we now have a uh, meteoric rise of of the of the numbers for our national uh, for our um, capital's airport, let's see if we can put it up for a concession. They did that, powered by those Air Serbia numbers, and in uh, uh, 2018 19, uh, there was a really uh, large tender by the amount of companies, foreign airport managing companies and consortiums that. Um, played uh, into that tender, uh, Vinci Airports was uh, selected, and basically it was the highest valued concession amount achieved in the entire Balkan region because all of the capitals in the region went for a concession 
much earlier. Uh, Ljubljana, uh, Zagreb, uh, Sofia recently. Montenegro's airports were to be uh, concessioned prior to COVID, but that fell, uh, fell through. The thing is, Belgrade Airport got the best price ever, and that was really spectacular. The total price was around 1 billion, uh, 1 billion 3 euros, 1, uh, 1.3 billion euros. And the thing is that uh, the first installment was 500 million euros and 700 million euros for infrastructure investments uh, for the extension of terminal buildings and things like that. So the country of Serbia, not knowingly, it wasn't a strategic decision, I'm sure, but what happened? They spent, like I said, around 400 million euros for the entire project of a national airline over the years. Uh, and that sort of resulted into uh, the concession, which only in its first installment gave back all that money back into the budget. Uh, 500 million euros was the first installment paid by Van C and 700 million, not including a yearly uh, concession rate, which will be around 10 million euros. And also, it was done before the corona crisis. So effectively, uh, we have now Nikola Tesla Airport in Belgrade, which is now a construction site being invested in because all the money has been secured previously by the concessionaires. So uh, uh, that was a uh, really a, a great thing to, to, to be done. So uh, basically, uh, uh, that thing was a win uh, a strategical win, and it shows that the civilian industry was uh, civilian aviation industry was quite uh, active here here in Serbia. How many million passengers per year at Nikola Tesla Airport uh, in normal times? Obviously, not not this last year, which is a bit unusual. But what numbers are we talking about? Uh, the last uh, pre-corona numbers are at uh, uh, five million passengers annually. Uh huh. Do you think all these different flag carriers, I don't know what's the situation now with Air Serbia and Etihad. They, do they, they still have the partnership with Etihad, right? So Etihad still... Uh... Well, uh, uh, when the entire equity alliance of Etihad's uh, fell through uh, because it uh, was a, at some airlines, was a direct investment type of a thing. In some airlines, stakes were a bit higher, some lower. Uh, Air Serbia's stake was, uh, Etihad's stake in Air Serbia was 49%. Uh, it now is even more uh, diluted, but in Air Serbia, they invested some cash, but the financial instrument was that it was actually a loan, not an investment. Effectively having the country pay for everything, despite there being a formal uh, stake. There were no dividends ever. So that sort of a partnership was basically, uh, it, it, it has a supervisory board, which is um, divided by percentage of ownership, but it was never as uh, a formal and uh, effective in that sense as other uh, ethical partner airlines. When all of that uh, alliance basically uh, ended, Air Serbia remained because of actually that. It was not an actual investment. There were no uh, dividends and it remained a formal, really formal alliance. Still a shareholder uh, though. Officially they are. Uh -huh. uh, their stake is now uh, below 20%. But uh, that uh, shareholding concept is only effectively uh, based on their uh, seats on the board, which are now even uh, smaller. Back then in uh, the initial three or four years, there were a lot of uh, shared services being operated uh, by Etihad. Uh, Serbian uh, operations people from several segments of the company uh, network planning, uh, route management, uh, um, and all the financial, commercial, uh, some of the uh, uh, sectors were based in Etihad. And that was the concept of the initial uh, Etihad lines that it will be ideally cheaper if uh, everybody is synergized. But uh, three years ago, 
all of that came back to uh, Air Serbia and they do not have any uh, business or physical links uh, anymore. Uh, so the only thing that rem remains is a uh, formal uh, share base uh, mm -hmm. ownership, but it is really formal, political, an illustration of uh, good relations between Serbia and the UAE. But Air Serbia uh, having its supervisory board uh, in a, a big Serbian majority basically runs itself. And no flight to Abu Dhabi anymore? So the flight to Abu Dhabi was canceled a few years ago. It was reestablished a few days ago, actually, by the only counter uh, business concept to uh, regional national airlines, the low costers, uh, yeah. by Wizz Air. Uh, yeah. Wizz Air now, as you know, has a, a significant UAE operation. Yes. And it will have a nonstop uh, service uh, with the uh, 3 to 1 uh, NEO aircraft. And uh, it uh, scoops up several market opportunities from uh, Air Serbia. When we talk about low-costers, they have penetrated the market of former Yugoslavia early on. It is uh, evenly uh, divided by Wizz Air and Ryanair uh, serving basically all of the countries, but Ryanair not being present in Serbia's Belgrade airport, only in its second uh, biggest airport, second uh, significant uh, international airport, Niš, which is uh, in the south of uh, Serbia. So uh, basically Ryanair and Wizz Air divided uh, Serbia, Wizz Air being based in Belgrade, Ryanair uh, serving uh, the southern uh, biggest city. Croatia's tourism, it's a beautiful coast and a spectacular uh, number of visitors during the summer pre-COVID, of course, was uh, totally scooped up by every single low cost there is. One question here. It's very convenient that you introduce the topic of low cost airlines and, and particularly Wizz Air, because that was actually the next point I wanted to, to mention is in this, in this region of the Balkans, you have all these national airlines, small airlines kind of struggling financially to get to uh, some scale. But then you have airline like Wizz Air, for example, which is active all over Eastern Europe, operating successfully. It's been a profitable airline for a number of years, and it's, it, it's shown that it can make work bases, even in relatively small cities in, in Eastern Europe, in many different countries. In the Balkans, it operates a few, a few bases. I think in, well, you mentioned Serbia, Croatia. I think they have bases in, in, in Bosnia. Even in, even I think in, in, in North Macedonia, I mean, isn't an airline like Wizz Air perhaps the, the, the most, uh, let's say, promising or the most uh, reliable way to develop air, air links in the region, perhaps, instead of having all these small airlines struggling and competing with each other on, uh, on the full service market? Exactly. So that uh, seems to be the uh, conclusion. The thing is that, for instance, uh, Republic of North Macedonia, uh, decided to put up its airline capacities up for sale, so to speak, to rent it out on a on a yearly or bi-yearly, I'm not sure, tender, which Wizz Air won. So Wizz Air is de facto a, a national airline of, of North Macedonia, and uh, they have established um, either bases or uh, significant frequencies in all of the former Yugoslavia countries, and they do it uh, as low costers do do it very cautiously, very aggressively sometimes, um, but optimally. Uh, the thing is that, for instance, uh, Wizz Air has uh, a base in Belgrade. Like in a majority of European uh, countries, it employs uh, local uh, staff, uh, local cabin and flight crew, uh, and they even had a plan before COVID to increase the number of uh, aircraft to two and then three. But the thing is that uh, the prime jewel of former Yugoslavia's market is definitely uh, Croatia. And all of these cities and municipalities on the uh, Croatian coast have, you know, uh, 10 to 15 years back united and basically figured out that uh, you needed to put up some cash for low costers to be uh, attracted and they perpetuated a airline service that's ideal, that is extremely seasonal uh, still, 
that was the problem for Croatia Airlines for a number of years. And then, uh, for instance, Croatia Airlines had a sort of a directive to connect uh, Zagreb to uh, these coastal cities uh, to create uh, Zagreb as a, a midpoint uh, through Western Europe, which pumped up value for uh, Zagreb when its concession came about. But unfortunately, a few weeks ago, uh, Ryanair surprised everybody and said and announced uh, that it will create uh, a base in Zagreb, which uh, several uh, analysts are now calling the death of Croatian Airlines effectively, uh, which recently got a um, Western consulting company to yet again get get it uh, reorganized. But like you, like you said, the business model of low-cost airlines was is uh, still the most viable one. Uh, due to seasonality, due to predictive expat uh, migrations um, during the year, business travel is not as developed, but uh, we have to be reminded that all of these economies are five to ten years behind uh, because of the war in regards to the uh, remainder of the Euro- of Europe. So business travel is always actually on the rise, not on the levels of uh, uh, other uh, Western uh, countries. So there was always room for for growth. But you also and that, have, for instance, uh, you also have the foreign the foreign airlines serving the region for for the business travel. So you have the Lufthansa, Austrian airlines, Air France on one side, and on the other side, you also have airlines from places like the Middle East, for example, connecting. I think Fly Dubai is flying now to several destinations in the region, connecting to Dubai. You had you had exactly. Etihad. So that uh, yeah. So you have both uh, so, the no, uh, east, uh, east and west connected by, uh, obviously not, by the, not so much by the national airlines, but by other foreign airlines that come into the, into the region. And yeah, of course, uh, like every country wants to have its own uh, national airline and, and na- national hub. But, but sometimes, I mean, you have the alternatives there, maybe that it's, uh, it's more straightforward. Exactly. So for the, the best example there is is... Adria Airways uh, bankruptcy, which created a practical um, demonstration of what happens when you lose your national airline, even uh, it being managed by a foreign uh, company. Like I said, it was sort of a venture capital uh, entity that wanted to basically flip the company, sell it in a uh, elevated uh, capital uh, worth. They failed. Uh, but then uh, overnight, basically, as these things happen, Slovenia didn't have a national airline. And then you had a practical experiment of what happens and do low costers uh, flock and do they immediately relieve and compensate uh, the uh, demise of a national airline? The answer is not quite because uh, Slovenia lost some basic uh, connectivity to uh, even uh, uh, Munich or Frankfurt, I'm not sure, uh, which was not there. Uh, low costers did not want to uh, serve uh, sort of, um, you know, political, uh, not uh, viable routes. So overnight, you you lost a significant number of, of uh, routes. Uh, Slovenia, on the other hand, is not a ideal example since it's quite closer to uh, Western Europe than uh, other countries, but Montenegro Airlines, its bankruptcy uh, is also an ex- excellent example uh, of a country that's also based on tourism, which is also extremely seasonal as a market, and uh, road access, uh, it being a, a sort of a mountainous, you know, uh, hard to access country by road, or I mean, uh, you, you need to drive longer for sure, uh, it needs airlines. All of the airlines serve Montenegro, but some uh, basic, we can call it, you know, political uh, business routes have been lost. Uh, That specific example of uh, Montenegro Airlines' bankruptcy is an illustration of these countries' political choices and options, which were not, uh, they were not honoring European Commission rules of state aid. And last year, you had a switch of uh, governments, which are basically also ideologists in Montenegro. And that new government, the coalition, basically established that 
through antic through competitive uh, authority watchdogs that Montenegro Airlines, unfortunately, for several years did not honor the European Commission rules for state aid or state subsidies. And they uh, started honoring that, the new government did, and they said, we literally do not have any authority or any legal option to continue to fund the national airline of Montenegro, and we have to shut it down. Uh, incidentally, Montenegro is up to uh, being um, qualified to join the EU, and one of the, ironically, one of the, the next chapters, it found itself of the EU accession uh, talks was uh, competitive uh, aids and things like that. So the perfect storm came for Montenegro Airlines. The new government decided to basically shut it down. It was a controversial decision because the entire entity was shut down, uh, losing its uh, AOC, losing its agreements in operations with all sorts of airline operating realms. And it quite quickly restarted itself a few days ago, uh, branded as Air Montenegro. So the Montenegro segment of the name will always be there. It paid off its, uh, its uh, least uh, Embraers. So at least it has uh, a couple of exactly two, two aircraft. Uh, and it will uh, basically be a continuing state airline dedicated to being a fallback option for tourism and for significant basic uh, connectivity to uh, Western Europe, despite Montenegro also being uh, infected by low-cost airlines uh, of all sorts. It is still, in some regards, a national pride thing. It is, in some regards, a government accomplishment effect in all these countries. Some countries are more mature than others and they do not uh, wish to spend a lot of money on these sorts of operations but uh, they will struggle at for for at the last uh, possible uh, option they have air serbia proved to be a success because the government uh, really uh, stepped in and really invested all of these other governments never had uh, that much money uh, but like I mentioned, the concession agreement, Belgrade Airport, that resulted in a in a net positive situation. But it could have been, it could have went other ways. So mm -hmm. uh, that that will still be a national airline curse to remain for for quite a few years. Even if Wizair or the Ryanair step up their operations in the region, they will never step up as aggressively as uh, one would expect like you very well know Vizier and Ryanair had their even their cutbacks uh, uh, even uh, in uh, Belgrade they uh, had some layoffs they were not significant even having uh, the most enormous cash reserves of all other uh, airlines uh, in the market but they always as we all know acted more responsibly but never actually being totally aggressive into overtaking by, for instance, frequencies, all the attractive routes have been established by all of the low-cost uh, airlines, but those frequencies will always remain seasonal. And that is the conclusion because they know what is the maximum of that market. And the only airline business competitive story there is how much traffic will they take over the existing traffic will they take over from the national airlines there is no significant creation of of new uh, traffic so to sum it up it will always be a modest and not uh, comparable to sort of you know western european uh, frequencies that they have dominated for years. Mm -hmm. Are all these countries in the region all part of the European common skies, even if some of them are not in the EU formally? That's, that's completely right. All of them are members of, of open skies. So, so you know, uh, your government has limited options to prohibit them. At some instances, it does not have any power to prohibit entry of low-costers into your country. So uh, that was never an option. 
country of Serbia supported its national airline, specifically in some charter uh, wars, which it fights every single summer season with countries, for instance, like Turkey. Uh, it always struggles to give uh, Air Serbia more uh, in that bilateral charter agreement uh, schedule, more, more metal on more routes. But it cannot prohibit, uh, all of these countries cannot prohibit uh, low-costers from uh, entering whenever, whenever they please. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, to wrap it up with the airlines, there's this airline that was started in, in Bosnia uh, a couple of years ago, Fly Bosnia. This is a private project, right? With uh, some Middle Eastern investors. Exactly. So, you know, that, uh, that thing of each nation basically having its national airline did not escape Bosnia as well. And Bosnia had several attempts of you know, having its airlines, and now the uh, uh, latest iteration uh, is called Fly Bosnia. Uh, and basically, it it had uh, uh, significant plans prior to COVID. It will continue serving, continue expanding its uh, fleet. Uh, it is uh, Airbus based, so um, uh, they uh, will try to connect with you know basic uh, routes. Uh, to Western Europe, to traditional uh, uh, Muslim countries uh, as well. Uh, but they are, as a country, totally dominated by uh, a wizard, more wizard than, than uh, Ryanair. That, that's sort of a, you know, a project by current investors that still haven't uh, seen the, the worst part of, of that adventure playing out. Uh, for instance, we have a new airline in Croatia called ETF uh, Airways, which is a a charter ACMI airline. Uh, There is a third airline in Croatia called Trade Air, also in a a leasing ACMI charter concept. So you can convince industry insiders into launching an airline, but as uh, Croatia uh, has shown, it is outright a speciality thing that is align with uh, realistic prospects. Air Bosnia is also uh, the consequence of the thing I mentioned, that national pride uh, getting along thing that is still it's in, in its infancy because it is the youngest uh, of them all. Of course, not, ex- not including uh, Air Montenegro now, uh, but the only arena where a new airline can think of succeeding is perhaps only Croatia because of its uh, thriving tourism. Uh, You have uh, the maximum number of uh, long-haul seasonal traffic now coming from uh, U.S. uh, announced uh, for this season. So that's the actual need. That's the actual strength of the economy that you need to cater. Bosnia, unfortunately, is the maybe the the poorest of these uh, nations in economic terms. So it remains to be seen whether uh, that airline will uh, be viable in the long run. Aside from the tourism, how's been the trend in terms of air traffic? Is the local market follow the same upward trend as as many other European countries, backed uh, by the, all, all these low cost uh, low cost growth? Or what, definitely, definitely, uh, the trend was uh, uh, really uh, consistent throughout uh, the later part of uh, the decade because. All of these countries, Croatia entering the EU, Slovenia continuing its uh, economic growth, they all, like I said before, had a pause in their development, which was significant because of the unfortunate wars. And it was the only uh, stable uh, uh, growing uh, market, former Yugoslavia as a whole, compared to some other uh, Eastern European uh, segments. So... It was always there. Unfortunately, Corona hit and uh, these uh, solutions that were presumably there, for instance, for Croatia Airlines, with, it was rumored that they found some partner to, to invest, some partner airline. It could have maybe been better for them that this did not happen, but everybody suffered. Uh, low costers were uh, have quieted down when uh, it all started. Air Serbia was always the most ad- agile one, 
uh, it took over significant uh, opportunities in Slovenia when Adria Airways collapsed. It is the single operator in the biggest corridor in former Yugoslavia, the most frequent corridor, and that's uh, Belgrade to Podgorica and Belgrade to Tivat, uh, Serbia to Montenegro. So Air Serbia was actually quite successful during the entire COVID situation, and now it's coming back to, to markets. It had around 50, 55% uh, load factor in a couple of uh, uh, past months. So that thing is picking up. It's still growth to continue. Uh, now we have post-COVID growth, but uh, like I said, this, these are not mature markets by a long shot. And if there is a certain thing that's growth, it only depends on it only depends how significant it is. I wouldn't like to finish this podcast without talking about your events, the Southeast Europe Aviation Summit that you organize. Uh, this year it was online because obviously all the travel restrictions. On other editions, it has been presential in, in Belgrade. I had the chance to attend once. It was a very interesting experience and, and sort of an introduction to all this world of aviation in the, in the former Yugoslavia that we've been talking about today. What else can you tell us about the upcoming editions of SEAS and other, the other events that, that you are organizing? Uh, yeah, so d definitely as a self-founded and uh, self-sustained uh, media uh, uh, driven by enthusiasm, we got entangled into an um, impossible thing of being a digital media in uh, this uh, day and age. Events are uh, an interesting activity, profit source for sure, but also an interesting offline opportunity for people to to connect, to create even interesting content. We started all that in 2016 by our initial uh, major flagship brand called the uh, Southeast European Aviation Summit, which was uh, done uh, twice, 2016 and 2018. Uh, it is a biannual event. And uh, the largest one was supposed to be uh, held in March 2020, but we had to cancel it uh, three days before everything in uh, Serbia was pronounced as being locked down due to COVID. Uh, so uh, we were about to dominate uh, yet again. Unfortunately, uh, that happened. We also had a one other conference organized. It was dedicated exclusively to airport security. And uh, over the years, we developed a significant competence in event organizing, in supporting that through uh, marketing and uh, PR and content creation through our uh, channels, which are significant. Uh, and then I decided, let's try this uh, hybrid uh, conference online streaming thing, which we did. So we had our third uh, Southeast Europe Aviation Summit edition this uh, May. It was extremely successful. We had around uh, 8,000 total views of two days of uh, YouTube streaming. So it it, it was quite uh, spectacular. It uh, br brought up some uh, new industry players from the local arena. Uh, the content was excellent. So uh, hopefully we will continue doing that. Uh, we are now considering uh, doing something uh, defense only. So hopefully we will all get back to uh, offline events as, as soon as possible. I think we are all hoping so. Um, you also produce content. You have what is perhaps the, the top YouTube channel in your, in your region for aviation content. Um, you also produce other, other multimedia content about aviation. Uh, I guess most of it is in, in Serbian language, but can you tell us about where to find those channels for, for people that are interested? Maybe we have some, some people in the audience that, that can understand Serbian. Definitely. So uh, our YouTube channel uh, has a mixed uh, uh, language-based content. We do some uh, English on the YouTube channel. You can just type up uh, Tango 6 in uh, YouTube search. Uh, the uh, last conference is now being uh, broadcasted panel by panel on YouTube. Uh, several of those 
interviews and panels are in English. For instance, today we have published uh, a panel with Air Serbia's lead uh, commercial and strategy uh, executive who is a foreigner, so we do that in English. Definitely, there is some English content to be found on you on our YouTube. Our base content platform is our portal, tango6.rs. It's uh, Serbian language only. Uh, but uh, in English, uh, you can follow me on, uh, on Twitter, uh, at uh, Peter Vojinovic. And uh, yeah, hopefully you can find me in all, on, on all these channels. Yeah, and I'm going to post links to each one of them on the show notes as well. The website for the um, conference for the Southeast Aviation Summit? SCAS.rs. Okay, excellent. I'm going to post a link as well so that everyone can check it out and maybe attend the next edition. Peter, it's been a very comprehensive conversation. So I think our audience uh, will have a, a very, very good understanding now of what happens in your part of Europe and this very dynamic aviation landscape in the countries that were once uh, part of Yugoslavia, now different countries, but again, common, common issues and uh, similar aviation landscape, an interesting part of Europe that I would definitely recommend everyone to visit and, and to enjoy whenever it's possible to travel again. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you for having me. Definitely the uh, Aviation Museum at Belgrade, Belgrade's airport is a location to visit by aviation enthusiasts. Yes. Uh, thank you for... I would say, if I can uh, say something here, uh, if you have the chance to pass through Belgrade Airport, even if it's on a short stopover, the museum is just outside the terminal. It has a very interesting sort of 1970s futuristic architecture and some interesting aircraft on the outside that you don't even, even if it's closed, even if the museum is closed, you can see the aircraft from outside which is what I did when I, last time I was at Belgrade Airport. There's a very interesting caravel on, on, on jet colors, if, if it's still there. Uh, it, is, and, it is. Yeah, and, and then some other interesting examples of aircraft and helicopters that have been, yeah, in, uh, in service in the last few decades. And I still have to go inside their museum, though, because on the day that it was there, it was closed. So I had to... Uh, content myself with taking pictures from the outside but in any case recommended go have a look if you have a chance to to find yourself in Belgrade. Thank you Mikhail for uh, having me uh, it was really great uh, trying to shed some light on a very interesting uh, region and um, yeah thank you thank you once again. Good to catch up speak soon. Before you go and if you like this podcast a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify or whichever platform you are using or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much and see you soon.